Hear the word of the Lord. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. If the same, in the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. Uh, I am really excited to be with you for a number of reasons. My name is Nathan, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I don't always get to preach, but when I do, uh, I really enjoy it. But specifically today, uh, we are in uh, the Sermon on the Mount series. Uh, Or last Sunday, Jamal kind of started us in the Beatitudes. I get to continue us uh, with the salt and light passage. And it's exciting to be here now. We as uh, staff and as elders have been thinking about this series in Matthew, praying for our church that really roots in us. So as we do that, I want to invite you to a few things. If you didn't get a chance to hear the Beatitudes sermon from last week, go back online and listen to it this week. I think it could be really helpful for you. Also, last week we started a memorization plan through the Sermon on the Mount, three chapters. Now, don't let that intimidate you. It intimidates me, but don't let it intimidate you. Uh, We're going to try to memorize three chapters, or you could also just memorize sections if you find that easier. Uh, But please join us in memorizing God's Word. There's nothing like hiding God's Word in your heart. So we want to do that as a family together. So as we start this morning, let's start with a word of prayer. Let's pray with me. Father, as we sit in Matthew 5 and we think about the scene that's taking place, that Jesus gathered uh, this crowd around him and they're listening to the wisdom of what it means to be in a countercultural kingdom, literally a kingdom upside down. I pray, Lord, that you give us the realization we live in that kingdom here and now that the world we live in is upside down, that the things that we are called to do, the people we are called to be are different and distinct. Father, we come from the world and we carry burdens and anxieties and fears. And I pray in this moment, as we gather together as family, allow us to set those things aside, to be present in this moment, to receive what the word has for us, what the spirit has to speak to us. Lord, let us be changed in this moment. It's in your name I pray, amen. So darkness can be a really scary thing. I don't know if you, maybe when you were a kid, you were afraid of the dark. Uh, My kids aren't, but uh, I was, especially in this one moment that I can remember in middle school. So I was in middle school. I was a part of a youth group and our youth group often took trips. And one of the trips we took, I'm not sure why we did this, but we went to an underground cave. We went spelunking. Spelunking is to like go exploring in a cave. So some of you are nodding your head like you know what I'm talking about. That's good. So we went spelunking. We went into a cave and we went a mile down underground and we went on what's called a wild tour. It's where you get dirty and you crawl on your belly. I think I have a picture here of somebody spelunking. Uh, It's as scary as that looks, actually. (laughs) So you fit in these tight places and it it was crazy. And I remember as a middle schooler being like, okay, this is kind of fun. I didn't really think about a lot what was happening. And then we got into this room and our guide said, okay, I want everybody to shut off their flashlights and I want us to be in the dark. But she prepared us. She said, this will be a dark unlike anything you've experienced before. And I thought, what does that mean? Like, I've been in the dark before, right? Like dark's dark. And then we shut off our lights and sure enough, she was right. The dark that I experienced was unlike anything I had experienced before or since because it was a darkness without any light. 
No light at all. Because we were a mile underground, there was no source of light, no glimmer, no sunshine, nothing. Complete darkness. You could put your hand in front of your face. But it was more than just the, uh, the darkness. It was the absence of light, the absence of light. And in that moment, as a middle schooler, kind of anxiety welled up in my heart. Um, the darkness was really crushing. And I had this thought, I'm stuck here. <laughs> if I don't have light, I literally am going to die down here. But praise God, I had a flashlight in my hand. So I just turned it on. And then I crawled out of my belly um, out of that cave. And that's, that's what Jesus is getting at here when he is, he is teaching this passage. Is he, is, we're coming to the book of Matthew, and he is telling us that we live in a dark and crushing world. So when Jesus says, you're a salt of the earth, you're a light of the world, for us to be light, that implies there is darkness. And we do live in a dark world, right? And we are supposed to be beacons of that light. And that's what, that's what Jesus is getting at, that, that without light, the world around us has no hope. No hope. Jesus is the hope of the world. But the world does have light. It's not stuck at a mile underneath with, with no hope of light at all. It has light because it has Jesus himself. He came here. He was present among us. And he gave his very life to be a light to the world. But not just that. You and I have been called children of light. He has sent us out as the church to be a light to the world. So let us, let's look at verse 13 through 15. We're going to stick there this morning. And I want us to think about the context of our passage. So we start in the book of Matthew. We start in the Sermon on the Mount. But let's go back before that. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, it says that Jesus was ministering all around Galilee. And it says he was doing two things. He was proclaiming, he was teaching the gospel, this upside down kingdom. And it says he was healing people. He was... Um, doing these miraculous signs. He was showing compassion. So he was showing the gospel through his words and through the life or through his deeds of compassion. And it says that great crowds surrounded him. And Jesus' response was to walk up to the mountain and to begin teaching them. And that's the beginning of his most famous sermon, which is the Sermon on the Mount, which is where we find ourselves. And as we get to verse 13, post-Beatitudes, we see Jesus making a transition from what does it look like to be in the kingdom Who's going to inherit the earth? What are the rules of this upside down kingdom? He shifts from that to the responsibility of citizens of the kingdom. Now that we're in the kingdom, what is our responsibility as members of the kingdom? And this morning, I want to give you just a simple layout to think about how this passage works. First of all, Jesus gives us three metaphors, a metaphor for salt and two metaphors for light. And then he gives us a command. He says, let your light shine in the darkness this invitation, this command to, to be lights in the darkness. And then there's one central goal from all of this so that our good deeds would be seen and so that God would be known and worshiped. So that's where we're going this morning. And so I want to start us out with this, this phrase in verse 13, the first part of verse 13, where Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. But what does that mean? So Jesus says that. He calls us salt. But what does it mean to be salt of the earth? So in the, in the ancient Near East, where Jesus was living at the time, salt was primarily used for two purposes. The first purpose was it brought out flavor in food. Um, there's this show on Netflix that's uh, about food. It's called like salt, heat. You guys, there's like four key elements of cooking. And I watched the salt episode where they go to Japan and show how they use salt. And one of the things they say is salt takes the natural flavor of food 
and it brings it to life. It brings it to life. Another thing salt does, um, it preserves food. So in a time where there was no refrigeration, food would go bad, they would salt things like meat so that you could eat later. So the primary purpose of salt was to bring out the flavor in food and to preserve food. It was true in the ancient Near East, and it's true today. That's what flavor does. That's what salt does. It brings flavor and it preserves, which is a great picture of what it means to be a Christian in God's upside down kingdom. Our lives are to flavor the world around us, and our lives are to help preserve, or could I even say make an impact in that same world. So as we live our lives, the, the love of God lived out in our everyday lives, it's to bring flavor and it's to provide impact to the culture around us. So what Jesus is doing here with this analogy, this metaphor, um, and in the next section when he talks about light, is he is showing us what our identity is. So our identity has been changed from a, a dark person, someone living in darkness, to someone who now lives in the light. Our identity is as a witness of what we have experienced, a witness of what we experienced. You are the salt of the earth. And then Jesus goes on in, in all of these metaphors to say, how foolish would it be to not live out the identity that you've been giving? How foolish would it be to have an identity of a witness and then to not be a witness, to not live out who we were created to be? That's what Jesus teaches here through salt. You're the salt of the earth. And then a, an absurd example of like, what if salt lost its saltiness? You're the light of the world. And what if a light wasn't shown? So that's what he's teaching us, the, this identity we have that we're called to live out. So think about it this way. At its core, salt is supposed to do one thing. Salt is supposed to do one thing. Salt is supposed to be salty. I know that sounds silly, but you buy salt, you have salt in your home for one purpose. You take it off the shelf and you expect it to be salty. And Jesus says that if salt loses its saltiness, it becomes useless and is thrown out. And that would be true for us too. If we have salt that is not salty, we would throw it out. And Jesus is making an important point here that salt that is not salty is really not salt at all. If salt is not salty, it's not salt because the very nature of salt is to provide flavor to be salty. And in the same way, what good is a Christian who is not living a life of faith for the world to see? Now, you could sit here and hear that as a condemning statement. Like, wow, I'm not living a life for the world to see. And you feel this guilt and shame. But that is not what I want you to experience or what Jesus wants you to experience in this passage. Because what Jesus is reminding his hearers is that you are the salt of the earth. Your very identity, your nature has changed to be salty. Now go live your lives. So it's not a statement of condemnation. It's a statement of invitation that you can be salty to those among you. Jesus hits on the same idea in Mark chapter 9 and verse 50. I love this passage. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So the reason I love this passage is because Jesus is very direct. And this is basically what he says. If I could paraphrase what he says, salt is good, be salty. He literally says that, have salt in yourselves. So he takes this analogy and he invites them to live out their saltiness. In a similar way, Jesus compares the life of a Christian, this dynamic, flavorful life, with that of, of having light, of being light. Look at verse 14. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. 
You are the light of the world. But again, what does that mean to be a light to the world? When we think about light, it has one primary purpose. Now you can think of other things, but the one primary purpose for light is it illuminates the darkness. It illuminates the darkness. Now for us, we could feel a little removed from the weightiness of light because tonight when you're in your home, all you have to do to access light is walk across the room and flip on a switch or flip off a switch. You literally control light, which is a crazy thing to think about. But in the ancient world and in many places around the world today, life was, the rhythm of life was determined by the rising of the sun and the setting of the sun. So my wife and I, before we came to Sojourn, we lived in Asia. We lived in kind of a a poor third world country. And for, for most of the time, most of the day, there wasn't electricity. And I remember hearing at four or 4.30 in the morning, Um, as the sun begins to creep over the mountains, people begin rising. And as the sun set, life began to slow down. The rhythms of life were determined by the light that they had access to. So the essential part of life was light. Light was essential to everything someone did in the ancient world or even in the third world. And Jesus knew how vital light was. So he gave us two metaphors. So he's telling his followers, you guys know how important light is. Your life is like light. And he says this in two ways. First of all, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. He gives this analogy, this picture of a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, it's often true that in the ancient world, cities were built on a hill or a series of hills. A lot of you have probably heard the the fact, the historical fact that Rome was built on seven hills. Cities were built on hills for a number of reasons, fortification, protection. If they got in war, they would have the higher ground. But it's a very common thing for a city to be built upon a hill. In fact, there are over 50 cities and towns around the world that were intentionally built on seven hills. Community comes in, they look at the landscape, and they begin building around these hills for fortification. And this idea um, of building a city on a hill became uh, really, uh, really powerful to me when I went on a, a global trip with some of you. There were about 40 of us went a year and a half ago to to Athens, Greece. We went to Greece to put on a retreat for our missionaries. I think there's a picture here of our sent ones. Um, It was one of my favorite things in all of ministry. I got to see the people that I shepherd, experience Jesus and get to connect with you. We, uh, Jamal went and he taught through the Roman, through the book of Romans chapter chapter eight. Uh, We did worship, Rachel led that, who's leading this morning. We got to do VBS. It was just a beautiful experience. So a lot of you kind of poured yourself out for a whole week. And one of the things we were able to give to you is we gave you a day in Greece. It's like, let's go to, let's go to Athens. Let's experience the city. We had a fun day in the city, but at night, one of the things they do is they illuminate this big hill called the Acropolis. I have a picture of that as well. The Acropolis is this, this large hill. Mars Hill is there. If you're familiar with Acts 17, Um, This is the center of Athens. This is the ancient part of Athens. So a lot of the things you probably read about, the Parthenon is up there. This is kind of the life of the city in ancient Athens. So no matter where you went, no matter where we went in the city that day, we could literally just look up on the hill, the city on the hill, and it was there. You literally could not not see the Acropolis. And that's the, the vision that I got. And I think the vision that Jesus is giving us is that what if you had a city illuminated and someone tried to hide it. You can't hide a city. It's literally impossible to hide a city on a hill that's illuminated. And that's what Jesus is hitting on here. He's reminding us of our identity as a city on a hill. 
illuminated for all to see that we are the light of the world. Look back in verse 14, that phrase, it's an identity statement. You are, it's not aspirational, try to be, work hard to be. It's a, a declaration, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. How absurd would it be if we tried to hide that light? To, to not be who Jesus made us to be. Illuminated cities cannot be hidden. And let me say, illuminated Christians cannot be hidden. And as cheesy as it sounds, you were made to shine. You were made to shine. The grace of God flooding your life, transforming your very fibers. The intent was for you to experience the love of Jesus and for that to fill up your life and overflow into the world around you. To overflow into into your relationships, into your community, into the way you work, into the way you deal with suffering and pain. You can't help to be a light in the world around you. And Jesus moves from talking about being a city on a hill that cannot be hidden to a lamp on a lampstand. Look, look at verse 15. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. Again, Jesus is going back to an identity statement. He's saying you are witnesses and how foolish would it be if you lit a lamp and then you hid it under a basket or a bowl? How, how crazy would it be if the lights are out in your home, electricity goes out, you light a candle and then you put like a mixing bowl over it? Well, why did you light a candle? You lit a candle to illuminate the darkness. And that's what Jesus is telling us is it would be foolish to have a light of life and then to hide that. It wouldn't make any sense. No one lights that lamp and he hides it. And Jesus' point in all three of these metaphors, salt of the earth, city on a hill, a lamp that's lit, is giving us and reminding us of the new creation he has created in us. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus wants you to know, and he wants us to know, that we were created to be light, to illuminate the darkness. We were created to be salt, to flavor the world around us, that we were made to be salt and light. And friends, this truth is for us today. Hear me, mission is more than activity. It's identity. It's who we were created to be. You and I were made to be witnesses to the world. We were made to light up the darkness. This is not something that we have to muster up, which I know when we start talking about mission or evangelism or living your life on purpose or intentionality, we can like take a step back and it's like, okay, pastor preached on this. I'm going to do a better job. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. That's not the invitation Jesus is giving to us. It's not something we have to muster up or a horrible duty we have to fulfill. We can simply live life the way it was meant to be lived. What would it look like to take the love that we've experienced and to open the floodgates to those around us? A life that testifies to the love of God. And that's what Jesus is talking about next. Jesus moves from our calling or identity as salt and light to an invitation to live on mission. And by mission, I mean we are declaring the love of God, Jesus' death and resurrection, his invitation to life in him. And we are displaying that love to others through our, through our actions, through our deeds. That's what it means to be on mission. God is inviting us to join him on mission in the everyday rhythms of our life as you go to work, 
as you parent your kids, how are you displaying the gospel? As you uh, discipline your kids or don't discipline your kids, as you interact with people or as you remove from people and you isolate yourself, how are you allowing the gospel to flood your life and be a flavor into the world? How is your language littered with gospel language? Let's look back at verse 16. From identity to invitation, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So here's the focal point of the passage. Jesus gives them this declaration, this invitation, let your light shine before others. You are salt, you are light, therefore let your light shine. And light, light is a really important theme throughout the New Testament, uh, especially in the book of John. So if you have a chance in your Bible reading, read the book of John and just look for the theme of light. Where is light? And, and the, the gospel writer John uses light over and over again. He uses it to describe Jesus himself and us, his church. I just, I want to give you a few examples of that. Let's look in John 8, verse 12. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He declares, I'm the light. And if you follow me, you will no longer walk in darkness, that you'll have a, a lit life and a new illuminated life. It's pointing back to this passage, the Beatitudes, and this invitation to be on mission. Look in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are a light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good, right, and true. So Paul here is reminding um, the, the Ephesians of what Jesus had said in this passage. He's saying, you were darkness. You had a life before Jesus. But the, the light of the gospel, the light of Jesus has flooded into your life. Walk as children of light. Walk as children of life. This is alluding back to the good works that, that verse 16 is talking about. What does that mean? Even this phrase says, for the, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good, right, and true. And th these passages are showing the richness of this idea of light. Again, the core task of light is to illuminate the darkness. D darkness shines in and exposes the light. And that's what Jesus did here on earth. Just think about for a moment Jesus' ministry. He comes as a child into an ordinary everyday family. He lives this ordinary everyday life as a carpenter. And then he gives his life so that light can shine. His, his, his life was a light to the darkness. And Jesus is calling us to light up the darkness in two primary ways. And this is how we know in two primaries, because we can look at his own life. And Jesus's ministry is modeled by these two things. Through our words, the way we talk, the way we share our faith, and through our actions, how we put the, the love of the gospel on display. We are both called to proclaim Jesus with what we say and with what we do, with how we live. A healthy witness is both declaration and demonstration. Now, I want you to hear me. This is really important. In our current church culture, it's, an, it's important that I share with you how we as Sojourn see what it means to be on mission, to be a witness to the world. And again, mission we're describing is we are proclaiming the gospel, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and the invitation to experience life through him. 
and the demonstration of that gospel in our everyday works and the way we love others and we pour ourselves out. Sojourn is a church that is committed to relentless mission. It's one of our six core values. Um, if you happen to make it on time to the service, we have a video and it goes through those six core values. It's the last one, relentless mission. And what we mean by relentless mission is we want to be passionate about making Jesus known to our neighbors, onward to the nations. So we have families like the Honais who moved to Leipzig to a beautiful city, beautiful city, but less than 1% of the people are evangelical. Leipzig is the same size of, of Louisville. So imagine less than 1% of the people you interact with, one out of 200 people would be Christians. So we want to send people sacrificially, relentlessly to places like that. But more than that, um, as much as that, let me say, we want to see you living on mission in your circles, in your spheres of life. But we do that by making Jesus known through our words, proclaiming the gospel, littering the gospel with your language. It's not just, let me sit down with you for an hour and share the gospel. But we're talking about Jesus all the time. It's in the way we celebrate. It's in the way we suffer. It's in our everyday conversations about what we do in life. Jesus is just a normal rhythm of our conversation. We're always talking about Jesus, his impact on our life, and the invitation for others to experience him. So we do it through our words, proclaiming the gospel, and we do it through our whole lives, putting the gospel on display. So thinking about the way you interact with your neighbors, the way you interact with the people who assault you and they mistreat you at work, whatever it might be, how we interact and how we show the love of God through our actions. And as a church, we are committed to a word and deed witness. We're not going to dichotomize those two things. That's a one, it's a package deal. And I say it's a package deal because when we look in the life of Jesus, that's how he did ministry. He gave him whole self. He gave his words and his actions. This witness is not to glorify ourselves. It's not so I can live on mission and be like, hey, look at Nathan. Or you can live on mission. Like, hey, look at Steve or look at Jane, like how awesome they are. No, like we're deflecting that light, that glory to the one that it's due. And that's Jesus himself. Even as a church, we don't, we don't want to primarily celebrate what we do. Oh, we have amazing medical clinics for the community. We're doing this. Look how awesome we are. No, we're not anything special. I want you to hear me that, say that. Sojourn's not anything special. We are ordinary people who love each other and are seeking to display the love of God to others. We're broken people. So it's not about us. It's not about sojourn. Look back in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We share the gospel through our words and through our actions so that we can bring glory to Jesus himself. Um, and I thought, I was thinking about this concept. as like, what does it mean to display the love of God through my words and deeds but really, I'm just a conduit of that light. And I thought about the moon, OK? So every so often, we get a full moon. I think I have a picture of this. We get a full moon, bright. Uh, imagine walking outside and, and thinking something like, wait, is it night or is it day? It's so bright. I can see everything. But it's night. There's no sun in the sky. And you look up, and there's a, a huge full moon. And you know what the, the light that comes from the moon? It's not the light of the moon. It's simply reflecting the light of the sun. The sun's behind it, pouring light through it. And that's what we are called to do as believers. We reflect the light of Jesus in a dark world. It's not our light. 
We are like the moon and we reflect the light of Jesus to the world. So the next time you go out and it's bright outside and you say, what in the world? And you look up and there's a full moon. You're like, oh, that's me. I'm to display the love of God through words and through my life like the sun, like the moon reflects the sun. And here's the crazy thing, church. This invitation, this identity, this calling, this command to be salt and light is given to ordinary, everyday people like you and me. Now, some of you are like, wait a second. Are you saying I'm ordinary? Yes, I am. I'm sure you're special. We're all special. But you are ordinary in that you're a broken person. God loves you. He's redeemed you or he's inviting you to himself to be redeemed. But you are ordinary people. But here's the good thing. Jesus came to ordinary folk. And I say folk intentionally. He came to ordinary folk, just like you and me. And that's what Jesus was doing here on the the Sermon on the Mount. Remember where he was in Matthew chapter 4. He was in the midst of Galilee. He was with the people. He was teaching. The people who were listening were the people who were drawn to Jesus. He's teaching the gospel, this upside down kingdom. And he's healing the sick. This is the ministry that he's doing among the everyday people. He goes up on the mountain. He begins begins teaching. And it's to these people that Jesus gives the kingdom. They were blue collar, white collar. Some of them had no collar at all. They were men and women and children, young and old. Some were rich, but most of them were poor. They were good moms and neglectful ones. There were good dads and abusive ones. They were prostitutes and thieves and rejects and outcasts. And there were people among them that day who just moments earlier, Jesus had healed. There were people who were paralyzed who were walking. There were people who were blind who could see. There were lepers who didn't have fingers or toes or hands or feet who now had those appendages. There were people who were disformed and many people who were on the brink of death who were brought to life. These These were the people that Jesus gave the kingdom to. Not just ordinary people, but broken people like you and me. These are the people following Jesus. And these are the same people that Jesus gave the kingdom to in Matthew 5 when he described who was a part of the kingdom. Who just, when he described through the Beatitudes. Let's, let's look back at the Beatitudes for just a moment. I want to remind us of where we've come from and where we're going. Here's what Jesus says to those broken people. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they are comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for, right, for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So Matthew 5, Jesus speaks these blessings of the kingdom to poor, broken, and ordinary people. That's you. That's me. It's helpful if we realize that. Look back in the, at the Beatitudes. It says, blessed are those who are poor and realize their need for him. What if we started there? Let's just realize our need for Jesus in this upside down kingdom and let's go from there. This is what it means to be a part of the kingdom, the Beatitudes. But he doesn't stop there. Jesus moves from the blessings of the kingdom 
to the responsibility of the kingdom. And the responsibility of being kingdom citizens is to be light into a world covered in darkness. And I don't have to tell you that. You experience darkness every day. Darkness in your heart, darkness around you, darkness that is pressed upon you. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus is in the light in the midst of darkness. And you are a light in the midst of darkness. And you can hear that and it, it can be overwhelming and you can think of any number of barriers or misconceptions or fears that keep you from living a life on mission, a life of light and salt. But I want to stop us and I want to invite you to a better life. I want to invite you to a better life. Because again, living a life of mission, of being salt and light is not a duty that we have to, it's not a drudgery that we have to step into and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but it's life the way it was meant to be lived. Let's think about what it would look like for you to live on mission in your everyday life. Let's think about community. Um, I think often we think about mission, we think about a single person going to an unbeliever and like, Here's the Romans road. Here are three things you need to know. Boom. And those are great things and you need to do that. But mission is more than that. Um, mission is, is not just me alone going and sharing and demonstrating the gospel, but it's me locking arm with other believers and living the gospel out. And we have a perfect setup here at Sojourn. It's called community groups. So I want you to think about your community group right now. If your community group is primarily about uh, it's inward and it's about meeting the needs of the group, which is essential in a community group. But if that's all it's about, it's time to shake things up. It's time to shake things up. You need to ask yourself, what would it look like for our community group to intentionally live on mission to those in our neighborhood? So think about your neighbors right now. Think about those uh, in the neighborhood where you meet. Think about the homes and the people you walk past. And if you can't think of anybody, that's another indication that your group needs to be on mission. Think about the names and the faces and the needs. And how can you as a group, collectively as a church, as a community, step into those felt needs? And if there aren't felt needs, get to know what those needs are. Every community has needs. Show and display the love of God. Build relationships, friendships. Find ways to declare the gospel. What would it look like to develop a mission plan? A plan to be on mission as a group to show and share the love of Jesus among those around you. Think about that. Also, personally, are you living in an intentional life among unbelievers? Now, many of you are. You, you have family who are unbelievers, or maybe your coworkers are unbelievers, and you're like, I'm surrounded with opportunities to be salt and light. But some of you aren't. How can you make space in your life to show and share the love of Jesus to those around you? Now, don't think of a thousand things. I just want to invite you to think about one thing. What's one step you can take to move down the road of mission? What's one person you can draw alongside, hear their story, share your story, and then invite them into God's story? What's one step you can take to live a life of mission? Hear me. We are called to be salt and light. We are salt of the earth. We are light of the world to people who live among us. It is going to Germany. It's going to India. It's going to those places like that. It's going to Birmingham to plant a church. But first and foremost, it's about living on mission where you find yourself. I want you to hear this invitation again from our Savior in verse 16. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine. 
And we don't share this, um, the gospel and word and deed, as I said before, out of duty or out of obligation. We share it out of an overflow of a love relationship we have with Jesus. And by God's grace and his kindness, he gave us a sign of that love relationship. That he was sitting with his disciples, these men who had turned their back on him, who had run away, who he would die for and pursue after the resurrection. He comes to them and invites them to be with him. This is the meal. He sits with these men. He takes a loaf of bread and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body. This is a visual picture of my body that is broken for you. It's the gospel in physical form. And then he takes a cup of wine uh, representing the new covenant. He said, this is my blood that is shed for you. My body and my blood are shed and broken for you. And he gives us, he gives us this sign that we as believers can experience. And if you're, you're an unbeliever today, this meal isn't for you. And that's not to exclude you. It's to invite you. That's a picture of what we've experienced in our life, that Jesus died on our behalf. He rose from the dead. And through his death and resurrection, we can have life. And if you're not a believer today, I want to invite you to allow the love of God and the light of Jesus to flood your heart. If you want to talk to somebody, you can grab somebody beside you. You can come to one of the pastors. We'd be happy to share with you what it means to be a Christian. But if you are a Christian, I want us to experience what it means to be light. We get to be in the presence of Jesus. We get to experience the love of the gospel and we get to take that out. Let's just sit for a moment and think about that. And as you come and you break off a piece of bread and you dip it in the wine or juice, I want you to celebrate the fact that the light has come to you. His body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. And the outworking of that is mission. Let's pray. Father, we are overwhelmed by the gospel that has come to us, how we have been changed from the inside out, how we live in this upside down kingdom. And you have called us to experience the blessings of the kingdom, that we can give our life away. And that is life, that we can be poor materially, but we're rich spiritually. All of these things that bring life to our bodies, Lord, allow us to experience the life of the kingdom and to, to be light and to be salt and to take that out. Father, I pray as we take communion now that we can experience life, that we can be reminded of the life you have given to us. It's in your name I pray. Amen.